Aaron, if you don't know, I always make sure there's some kind of greenery behind me. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Power Hour. We are so excited to have you with us today. So let us know where you're tuning in from, as always, if you're catching us live here on LinkedIn or over on Facebook or YouTube, because today is special for two reasons. Number one, we are finally broadcasting straight from the Power Hour page, which we are thrilled to do. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We've got plenty of followers. And Dan, your dedication to getting us to be able to broadcast from the page. Thank you so much. And also, we have Aaron with us this morning, who is going to be blowing your mind when it comes to change, innovation, and what kind of innovator are you? So I'm really excited to be able to introduce him today. But before I do, if you haven't met me yet, I'm Claire Davis from Traction Resume, where I help sales leaders get great jobs and make more money with resumes and interview prep. So how about we do a quick round robin team and we introduce ourselves. And then Aaron, if you don't mind, I would love to do an intro for you. Sound good? Okay, Aaron, let's start with you. Sorry, Dan. You got to pass the ball, Claire. If you don't, no one knows what to do. <laughs> yeah. I thought if I point, I'm, I have my best chance of getting it right if I just go down. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. I'm Aaron. I run Muscle Creative. I am known as the conversational copywriter. So I work with solopreneurs and small businesses to um, help them write copy as a conversation instead of like the robot that people become once they start uh, speaking um, as a business. And I do that through one-on-one right with you sessions and my monthly membership. Over to you, Dan. Can, can we just talk about, and I don't know if anyone caught it at the very beginning of the stream, but every single time before we start Power Hour, we always talk about Claire's plant and how proud of it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking it up for you guys today. This is a newbie. So I'm trying to keep it fresh. Thank you, Dan. On, I appreciate on, that. On plant rotation. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Aaron, we're sending a plant to you for next show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, morning, everyone. I'm Dan Mont. If you don't know, uh, I help you build your business on LinkedIn through uh, courses, coaching, and, and free resources. Um, and I, I really am excited to jump into today's episode. So Claire, if you want to do a quick intro for Aaron, and then we'll let him take it away and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So Aaron is with us today. He is the author of the book Today's Innovator, which you can go find on Amazon. I was checking it out earlier today. He's an innovation expert with 17 years of experience innovating in complex organizations. And so what we were chatting about a little bit backstage is how that's so important at the corporate level, but corporations, businesses are all created from people just like you and everybody watching here. And so it's really critical to be able to harness some of this stuff as an individual as well. So he views innovation not as an activity, but as a core business competency that must be developed. And through his company at Today's Innovator and his writing, Aaron's mission is to connect and empower the innovators found within each of us. So I hope I phrased all that correctly because Aaron, I have to tell you, I was completely inspired by, first of all, how you have just a free assessment for anybody who's interested in harnessing these kinds of things for themselves right on your website. So I took the assessment and um, I'm waiting for the results eagerly, but I think that <clears throat> that kind of, what shook me about your method first, right off the bat was the fact that a lot of us think about innovation as that activity and don't consider it's some, it almost seems like something that you either have got it or you're not really an innovator. And what you broke open for me was that we're all 
innovators and can be change agents, but we have different styles like like any other part of our lives. So so if you don't mind, can you can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe how you came to discover that innovation is something we can all grasp? Yeah, thanks for the intro. I'm excited to be here. Um, my story is uh, I have two math degrees and I'm incredibly introverted. Uh, and I went and I started in a credit risk analyst job at Capital One for many years. But Capital One was a very innovative culture. And so I learned innovative ways while I was there, mostly from sitting back and just observing everything. Um, but at one point, I got the opportunity to participate on an innovation team at Capital One, and that gave me the bug. Uh, so I started to learn that driving change inside of an organization was logical, right? There was a process to it. There's a method to it. And I could apply my logical thinking to that and actually bring my own angle to it that, that maybe some others weren't presenting. Um, I ended up leaving Capital One in 2008, and I joined a sleepy, stuffy insurance company, Transamerica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and over the course of a few years, I rose up through the ranks for whatever reason and ultimately became chief innovation officer of Transamerica. And uh, my mission was to make it a less sleepy and stuffy organization. So that was uh, the task at hand. Um, as chief innovation officer, I thought my job was, like you just said, to innovate, to create innovations that would change the way that we do business but the CEO framed it up in a very different way. He said, create a culture of innovation, collaboration, and trust. And I will tell you that as an introvert, trying to change a culture of 6,000 people was absolutely terrifying. Uh, I had a team of three people. And the lesson learned was that three people cannot change a culture of 6,000, but 200 people can. And so I started to learn how to develop smart networks of people inside of the organization who became change agents and started to drive the change that we were trying to see. Um, many chief innovation officers burn out after a few years. And so that was the case with me. I left the corporate grind in 2016 to try to figure out what I really wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and within a few years, I wrote the book Today's Innovator, um, which I call my block and tackle innovation book. The first three parts are really just kind of standard innovation fair. But I sat down to write the fourth part, which was called The Profile of Today's Innovator. And I realized very quickly, this is new thinking. I hadn't seen this type of thinking anywhere. And I realized it should have been the whole book. And it's such fertile ground, in fact, that over the past three or four years, it has been my entire pursuit to try to unlock what creates great innovators. And uh, one of the insights that I've learned, I think this answers your question, is that the, the word innovation is very nebulous and ambiguous, and it means different things to different people. And... I've realized that if I reframe that as change agency, uh, so to be a great innovator, you have to be a great change agent. You have to understand what system you exist in and try to change the system so that whatever change you're, you're introducing can stick and can last in that system. And that's this idea of change agency. So over the past two years, I've started to slowly reframe all of my thinking in terms of change agency, less about innovation, more about how do I empower individuals to be stronger change agents in the work that they do. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it fascinates me more that so that knowing that you're an introvert, <laughs> you know, um, and had to kind of re branch out um, so much mm -hmm. because to make change, I assume you have to collaborate with other people and it's kind of like a domino effect. Do you feel like using the phrase change agent is um, less intimidating than maybe in innovator or innovation? I think when people think innovating, oh God, that's that guy over there. Like he's right. the innovator. I can't do that, you know? And maybe it sounds like you're kind of bringing it to the people of like, we can all 
do this and we can all impact, uh, you know, whether it's professional or in your community. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, that's great insight, Aaron. Um, I heard a lot of innovation is that thing that happens over there, whether it's a lab, whether it's a team or a department. Um, but when our CEO at Transamerica framed it as create a culture of innovation, it was for the people. It was this idea mm -hmm. of we should empower any individual who has a great idea or is frustrated by something to seek a solution to that problem. And that is that culture of innovation that we're looking for. Um, everyone's happier when you're when you feel empowered to find your own solutions, when you uh, fall in love with your own ideas, when you fall in love with the problems that you're faced with, and you're, you're not reliant on others to solve those problems for you. One of the common afflictions I see in organizations is opening up a suggestion box for ideas. And what an awful notion to have employees submit their idea into some black box in hopes that someone else picks it up and runs with it. Um, <laughs> that's just terrifying. So how, how can you create an environment where someone can fall in love with their own idea and can pursue it on their own? And that's the idea of change agency and becoming a change agent, creating an environment where innovation can thrive is change agency. Yeah. Did anybody else just take a complete sigh of relief? Like, okay, being an innovator doesn't mean I have to invent the next iPhone. It just, I mean, I feel like you've really broken it apart so that everybody can access this kind of thinking. And um, I would imagine that there's probably a system that goes along with that, that you helped create. So it became that that community. And before I do, I wanted to just shout out really quick. We've got some great people here, some some innovators in this in this as well. So I would say, Steve, good morning. This is great to see you. Stu says it's his first Power Hour. Great to see you, Stu. Welcome to Power Hour. Uh, Kathy's here. Garen's here. Great to see you. And Brian, who I'm so glad we're connected. Thank you all for being here. So can you tell us a little bit more, Aaron, about what that looks like systematically or as more of a program than just this thought? Yeah, yeah. There's two um, quotes or attributions that I'll make in order to frame that up. The first is the great management thinker, Peter Drucker, was the first person I'd seen who talked about innovation as a competency and not as an outcome. Uh, many of us think of an innovation as a something new that has commercial viability, right? That's, that's kind of the common notion of innovation, a new product, a new, a new thing. Peter Drucker said, nope, that's not it. It's actually the core competency for responding to change. And as the business builds that responsive muscle, they become stronger at innovation. And what you can look at is, is how, or business or organization or individual, it can be anyone, right? What you can look at is how responsive am I to the change factors that I observe? And there's a lot to that. Am I, getting, am I good at observing change factors first and foremost? How good am I at understanding what's changing around me? Are my customers changing? Are, is the environment changing? Is there a pandemic? Right? As you start to understand those things, then you can develop a response to those things. And that the more creative the response, the more innovative the response. So innovation essentially becomes a quality or a competency and not an outcome. Um, the second attribution I'll give is, to my thinking is to the great economist Edward Deming or W. Edwards Deming, who said, um, every system is perfectly designed to achieve the result that it gets. And so if a business or an organization or an individual is stuck and they're achieving just one thing over and over again, if you need to achieve something differently, you have to change the system. That's the implication. And so how do you 
apply systems thinking to the innovation world or to the change agent world, um, I looked at that from an individual perspective and realized that there are different traits or what I call archetypes that an individual can role model in order to be a stronger agent of change. And they're in four domains. The first one is in the solution domain. You can be become really good at creating solutions and that's leverage your expertise, whether that's as a web designer, as a salesperson or whatever, whatever it might be, become really good at that. That's an important part of, of innovation, right? It's not all about creativity. In many respects, it's about how technical are we? Can we have better technical expertise than the next guy? Tesla, for instance, leans on its battery technology to, to make it the innovation leader in, in, in cars. Um, mm -hmm. Then there's the connection archety archetype or the connector. So how good am I at connecting people and ideas? Am I expanding my network? Am I getting better at that? The second domain is the problem opportunity domain. Do I understand the problems that I face really well or do I understand the opportunities that I have in front of me really well? You have to get good at that. Uh, the pandemic taught us that. It, it presented this new problem opportunity space that many people were very responsive to. And we call that crisis innovation rapid response to a new problem or opportunity that, that presents itself is in a crisis that can really spur creativity and innovation. <clears throat> the third domain is the team domain. Who am I surrounding myself with to create new things or to solve new problems? And then the fourth domain is the environment. What environment have I created for myself in order to solve new problems or for my team? Have I set them up for success? Do they have the physical tools, the process tools, uh, the, the champion in the environment that's going to allow them to be successful when they're driving change. So you can look at these different behavioral roles to understand, okay, this is the hat I need to wear for this aspect of change. That's really interesting. Do you, do you ever find that you need to have, like you need to be able to balance and, and juggle between those four domains? Or do you find that individuals based on their personal styles, their preferences, or the, you know, the way that they, they are in either you know, themselves or a leadership role, um, that they gravitate towards one of those? And, and how does that impact that individual as an innovator, as an agent of change? Yeah, great question, Dan. Um, we developed this model intentionally not to be, and I'm going to get a little technical, technical here, but not to be psychometric, meaning it's not valid forever. If you find that you, you in one situation are a strong teammate or a strong agitator, that doesn't mean in the next situation you can't be the architect or the champion. Um, we design them as archetypal roles. So when I say the word agitator, initiator, connector, everyone immediately has an understanding of what's, ex what's expected. And so archetypally, you, you, you see it, you understand, oh, okay, you need me to agitate right now. I'm going to ask a powerful question that stops the room in its tracks. Um, are we approaching this the right way? It's a great agitator question. Or what would it look like if we did it this other way? Um, anyone can do that. And you can learn and practice that and become better at that. And when you recognize that all of these roles need to play to have a strong ecosystem or a strong change system, then sometimes, Dan, you do have to switch roles. And, and midstream, you might say, hey, we don't have time to agitate right now. We have to be solution focused um, because you, you, know what, you know what you're up against and you know what type of uh, role that you need to model at that point. We call them team roles and archetypes. What, um, What's the I'm best? Curious. Oh, go ahead, Erin. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, um, no, no. Go for it. What? So, we're people say the phrase <laughs> post pandemic, which we're kind of still in it, right? So, <laughs> um, so what 
I, I, it was, I was so curious when I, and when, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, I was so happy you were going to be here this week. So I'm so curious of like, how did you work with people? How are you working with people through the pandemic? Cause I, I was going to ask you that. And you mentioned it as one of the, the core uh, values that you kind of, um, uh, teach or train. And so um, people are still dealing with it. And so like, what, how are you helping people um, manage the pandemic, climb out of it? Like how, how do they, uh, that word shift and pivot, I think we've heard those words a million times, Uh, but what was your role there? (laughs) So I found myself gravitating to the organizations that were most in need of support during the pandemic. That was nonprofits. And it was a space I hadn't played much at all in my professional career. And it's been incredibly rewarding to work with nonprofits over the past 18 months. And it's something I'm going to continue to do. Um, You don't get in that business to become rich, but it's very rewarding from a personal perspective. Um, what I help them deal with is first and foremost, recognizing the change factors that they face, right? We knew the things that were ever present, you know, changing regulations, the news stories that were telling us what was changing, but there were, uh, weak signals of change that you could pick up on as well. Um, a youth development organization could draw from what a restaurant's response was to the pandemic, right? They can look at it and say, wow, they changed their physical space in this way. Maybe that's something we could try as well. And so when you come, become really good at picking up weak signals of change, you can start to understand how you could apply that to your business. Uh, recognizing the change is one thing, but your response to the change is the other. And so I've, I, come up, I came up with a model for <clears throat> identifying four types of responses to change and allowing folks to self-identify how they were responding. The first is uh, you can ignore the change, right? You can stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not there. And if you did that during the pandemic, you probably paid the ultimate price and you you probably have a different career right now. Um, (laughs) The second is the wait and see approach. Again, not very empowering, but it is kind of a valid approach. You can do the fast follower. If you are a restaurant owner or a real estate agent, you can watch what other restaurants and other realtors are doing and say, okay, I'll do that because that seems to be working for them. It's fine, but you're not creating ripples. You're not creating a wave. It's, it's just kind of a uh, survival mechanism. The third thing is you can adapt to the change that you see. So you can recognize those change factors and say, oh, there's this new technology that I could bring in here that might help me connect with my customers better. So this adaptation, I think of Google Maps as the classic adaptive system. Um, at no point in its history since the mid 90s was Google Maps ever the most innovative thing in the world. MapQuest and a few other things already existed when Google Maps came out, but they win because they adapt. They recognize new technologies, they recognize changing consumer preferences, and they move their thing, that whatever widget they have into whatever those, those changing things are. Very valid response to change. Um, the most exciting one though is the driver of change. So. You, you can recognize all these signals of change or you can create signals of change. And this is your Elon Musk, this is your Jeff Bezos, but there's many other examples, right? You don't have to be these uh, billionaire examples uh, of people who create the change and stay ahead of change by um, creating their own atmosphere and their own environment and and driving new things into the the world. Um, So one of those four responses is how I will find an organization I'll say, which one of these do you wanna be? Hopefully they don't say head in the sand I can work with the other three. Uh, the, the ignoring the change, I can't really work with. You're just disqualifying them. It's okay. I can't help you. 
<laughs> so do you feel like um, when it comes to, is there one that's better? I, I'm as, I mean, is number four better than being the driver and being the one that wants to really make the mark and then bring everybody else along? Is that like the best <clears throat> way to go about it? What, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I used the Google Maps example to illustrate that no, number four is not the best thing, right? Okay. MapQuest was probably the, the driver of change in the online map space, right? But no, no one goes to MapQuest anymore and prints out directions. At least I don't think people What's do. What's MapQuest? <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, Google Maps was just adaptive. They said, let's do what they're doing. Uh, let's figure out oh, the, you know, we can put cameras, we can borrow this other technology, we can put cameras on top of cars and send these cars out to the world and create street view. We can do all these other things. They were never the drivers of change. They were adaptive. Uh, and I think that's a very valid response is to understand what's successful for other organizations, what new technologies are presenting themselves, what are my people capable of, right? Because you surround yourself with teams who have, who have certain potential and you can't exceed a team's potential. So if you don't have it, you don't have the ability to produce new technology. Don't go do that, right? Yeah. Do the adaptation. So, like MySpace so, was a driver. It, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this is sort of a unique time for Power Hour, and um, you know, I'm seeing some more new, fr new, fresh faces in in uh, the chat today, and I'm so glad to see that because we are about to go after next week on a short break so that we can regroup and bring some new fresh innovation to this show. So, you know, this is being uh, being in our first season ever. This is new to us and we're all really excited. And Dan and Aaron are two of the most like incredibly creative people I know. So I cannot wait to dig into this with them. Um, but one thing that you mentioned a little bit earlier was that there's sort of a system to coming up with these new ideas and to putting these kinds of changes and and drumming up this innovation. Can you talk a little bit about how you help companies or maybe individuals put a structure into place so that this kind of thing becomes a way of acting or thinking? And I think part of, you know, at least for me, when it comes to, okay, you gotta be creative and you gotta create new things, right? Sometimes there's an onus there. Like sometimes there's this heaviness of like, oh my God, whatever I have to produce is great. And when it's flipped on its head so that it's just this new way of operating, I think that's very freeing for a lot of people. I think that must create more space to and, and more availability for people to feel like they can engage and, and be active in that way too. So can you talk us a little bit through a process you recommend? Yeah, a um, little quick story first. I work with a financial services company that called me about six or eight months ago and said, we want to be more innovative. And I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. We'll figure this out. And so their, their head, uh, the person they put in charge of innovation was their chief financial officer. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, but I started working with him and it became this uh, game of cat and mouse where I could never pin him down. I could never get him to commit to any change, any meaningful change in the organization. He kept saying, oh, we're going to be innovative. We just, I don't have the time right now. Finally, last month I pinned him down and, and said, okay, so what are we gonna do? How are we gonna become more innovative? He said, you know, it's just been so busy around here that we just don't have time. I'm not sure this is gonna work out. And I asked him what he'd been busy with. 
And the things he, he talked about were they were rebranding the company, they were developing new products, they were installing new capabilities, right? Everything that he mentioned was innovation. And so to not have the time was a mindset shift. He needs to, to have that mindset shift. And that's the first, I guess, part of the system is to view innovation not as some unattainable outcome, but as some equality to the work that I do so that any project I take on has a certain level of innovativeness. And I'm, I'm confident that in their new product development, this financial services company was innovative. I'm confident, right? By any definition, um, they would call themselves innovative, but they were seeking something wholly unattainable. Um, and I'm still not sure what they, were, what they are seeking, and I'm still working with them on that. Um, so part of that system is, is really the mindset shift, the perspective change. Um, the other pieces that I like to install, whether it's an individual or uh, an organization, is alignment to mission and vision. Uh, so understanding what are we trying to become and why do we serve the people that we serve? And that can be a very personal thing. I work with people on an individual basis. You know, what are you trying to become? What are you trying to create in your life? And until you can articulate that, you can't really apply innovation process to it. You're not going to wake up with some big aha idea. In fact, the more work you do, the less likely you have an aha idea. Uh, that's the exception to the rule. Uh, the more work you do on innovation, the more likely it just feels like solving a problem. Um, so when you have a mission and a strong vision, which is aspirational and attainable, but it's a stretch, then you can start to imagine what it might take to get there. The next thing we work on is the values level. So when I talk about values with people or with organizations, I'm describing the qualities of the environment that will allow me to achieve the vision. What's required to achieve that vision? Do we need to be collaborative? Do we need to challenge each other? Do we need to be flexible in how we work together? Let's name all those things that are required to achieve that vision. Too often values, particularly for organizations, are stated values and they're on mouse pads or on screensavers or hanging on walls in offices but they don't have any basis in reality. In reality, the values are what shows up in, you know, how, what are people rewarded for? What are people fired for? That points to your values. And they're very often very different than the stated values. I try to mm -hmm. skip that by focusing on aspirational values. What's required to achieve the vision that you want to achieve? And so when you start working on aspirational values, you start creating that environment that unlocks the potential of a team, unlocks the potential of an individual, unlocks the potential of the organization because you're begging it to work differently. Um, so that's where all the work starts is at mission, vision, values level. Once you get past that, you can start to look at what, what are called design principles or design standards. So in everything that I do, what are the few things that I want to, sh to show up or not show up? These are your must-haves, must-not-haves. Um, in an organization, it might be your brand standards. You know, we always want to present our brand this way, or we always want to have this type of customer experience. And those are very important. Those rules are very important for innovators. The best innovators have a lot of rules that they follow, and they'll just break one or two rules at a time in order to unlock some new potential. And when you that. give them complete greenfield, uh, very often they don't know what to focus on. And so it'll, be a pet, it'll become a pet project and not necessarily something that's just a logical tweak or a logical response to something some change factor that they're seeing. Did I, that answer your question, Claire? Oh yeah, definitely. And what really it reminds me of, Aaron, is 
So 2020 shook everyone when it came to their career. It doesn't matter what career you were in, you were, we were all affected in some way. And so being in the career space, many people and many of my clients thought, okay, to play at this new level, I have to completely change my approach, my personal brand and who I am in my career. And that doesn't work because when you try to change everything, you're like a boat adrift right? So I love what you're sharing about innovators change one or two of the rules on the playing field, one or two things that they try that are different. So they're not completely untethered and being inauthentic to who they are and what's worked in the past. I mean, you don't get anywhere in your career for not having built yourself along the way. So, you know, honor that. But changing a few things makes this really relatable and really powerful as a strategy. So thank you very much for sharing that. So I think, I think you brought up a good point. I think it's come across a couple of times, right? It's like innovation is such a broad topic and it's very hard to identify where, where you can get started. So rather than kind of people proactively make the decision to say, I need to, as an individual or in my career or for my business, need to be more innovative. What can people do to, and, and I think, right, like we, we've mentioned this a couple of times now, the pandemic is the most obvious change in the environment, right? Everyone realized, okay, I need to, I need to either, you know, stick my head in the sand or I need to adapt. I need to figure this out. But on a, you know, on an individual level, on a day-to-day basis, right? Like how can we identify changes in our environment, in our market, in our business, what have you to say that is the best place for me to, to be an agent of change, to, to, to implement and, and be able to improve either myself or my business. Yeah, I I call it developing a responsive strategy. So understand, you have to understand what are the potential things that might change in my system, right? And I mentioned a few earlier, it could be the regulatory environment, it could be the economic environment, it could be consumer trends, it can be customer feedback on complaints, you know, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this over and over again. Any one of those things is a valid change factor. Uh, I'd like to present a mosaic, if you will, of all the things that can change and how am I monitoring monitoring each one of those things? And are they important to me? And if not, get it off the dashboard, right? What are those few things that could potentially change? There's a great model for it. It's called the PESTEL model, which P-E-S-T-E-L. Just look at the political environment, look at the economic environment, look at the environment, look at social trends, look at uh, technological trends, and look at the legal environment. Um, That's a good model to start with. So if you're looking for you know, how do I monitor the world? Use the PESTEL model um, and then adapt it for whatever you're in. If you're in just, you know, Dan, I know you're, you're a parent, right? Um, PESTEL may not work for you. You may want to watch for other things. You may want to look for other changes so that when you're thinking, how do I change myself to be more successful as a parent? You're picking up on, oh, those are the trends that I'm seeing uh, that others are doing. Um, Here's some of the things my, my baby is telling me, right? And, and you're, you've got your ears to everything and you're picking up on all these factors. And then you pay attention to your own stress as well and, and to your own body and how you're reacting to things. And that's going to point you in the direction of solutions. So if you're very attuned to the change factors around you, you might wake up one day and say, you know what? My three priorities are this, this, and this. And for two years, that might be a really good model for you, Dan, to be successful, right? Because you've recognized all the problems that you have and you've made a decision based on your analysis of the change factors that I'm going to act this other way. And that's innovative. That's change. That's awesome. I love that. Awesome. 
So Erin, one last question for you. Every week we always ask our experts who come on so generously, thank you by the way, to share something, uh, thank you, and to share something with the audience that they can put into practice today to get better in this particular area. So what is your advice there for everybody here joining us? Yeah, I talked about the the roles earlier that you can play to become a stronger innovator. one of the challenges I love to give is related to the connector role. So to be strong in innovation or strong at change, we all need to connect people and ideas, right? You need to understand what ideas does Dan have? What ideas does Aaron have? Can I connect Aaron and Dan? Are they going to come up with something, something more powerful? I never talk about ideation as the solution to innovation or brainstorming. It's really more about networking and build, getting the right people in the room to solve the problem. So the challenge that I would issue is, up your game on that connector muscle. And that would be take the time to meet someone that you should know that you don't know and just find what the common ground is. We all have those people, right? You all have people that you know, oh yeah, someone keeps mentioning that person. I really should know that person, but you don't take the time to reach out. Whether that's, you know, for me in the in the corporate world, it might be the, the chief operating officer who would be a blocker to innovation because he wants to hold down the status quo. Um, if I take time to get to know him on a personal level, then I'm gonna have a, a better relationship and be stronger at creating solutions that work for the entire organization, for instance. It can be uncomfortable though, to reach out to someone and say, hey, you know, I know we don't know each other, but can we get to know each other? Um, but I'll challenge you, you all ha- use me as an excuse, right? Someone told me I have to do this. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, Go out and meet that person. It unlocks a world of potential when you expand your network that way. Uh, And you never know what you're going to find. You might find a new technology or a new uh, trend that you didn't know about that this other person is expert in that that they know everything about. And it can really change the potential of yourself and your team. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron. Seriously, I, I always look up at the clock I'm like, I'm just flabbergasted, which I've never used that word on the show. And I'm glad that it's finally come up today. There's a first for I'm everything flabbergasted for how, right? How quickly this half hour goes. Um, and I'm, we're so grateful to have you here. You guys, if you are not yet connecting with Aaron, please don't wait, do it today. And you can also find him over at todaysinnovator.com. And like I did this morning, go take the assessment because it'll be fascinating to know first that yes, you're an innovator. It's just all about discovering what kind so that you can do it really effectively. So thank you so much for your time today. We're so grateful to you for being here with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This I always love talking shop and this has been a thrill. So thanks. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back sometime. Aaron, uh, Aaron and Dan, wonderful to have you this morning as well. And Matt, we'll catch you next week. And you guys know time is our greatest resource. It's our greatest commodity. And the fact that everybody here uh, joining us today spent their morning with us, we are truly grateful to you as well. So thank you so much. And we will wish you adieu and see you next week for a season recap of Power Hour. So join us next week on Thursday at 7 a.m. And until then, thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Bye, guys.